Welcome to the Chopped Over Podcast. We are your hosts, Elise and Amay. And today we are speaking with an award-winning illustrator, Zintle Zulu. Zee, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the podcast with us today. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, who's never kind of, who's silly enough to have never heard of you? <laughs> well, yes. Firstly, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's an honor and a privilege. Um, and yes, I'm, I'm an illustrator and I, I try my best to be an artist and um, I, also, I also teach now, which is pretty cool. And, and I run a, a small creative studio called Zulu Visual. So that's what I do. That's kind of who I am. And more importantly, I'm a storyteller. If, if, if anything, that's how I'd like to be defined. I love it. So beautiful. A storyteller. Um, and what led you to becoming an illustrator artist? We'll deal with the artist part later. But an illustrator, was, this, was being an illustrator always the plan or... What was the plan? Nope, that was never the plan. I'll be honest, like, I've been asked this a couple of times and it's always it's always something that's very diluted that I'd give as an answer. But honestly, like, I had no idea what I was going to do. Like, I tried to act like I had an idea, I had no clue. And I just knew what I was expected to do. So when I was growing up, my parents, you know, set up this life where it's like, you have to become successful and you either have to become a doctor, a lawyer, um, one of those reputable... Yeah, that real top five. And I think like a lot of people's parents had that idea because that's the world that they were exposed to. So yeah, I was trying to impress my parents. So I'd be like, yeah, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a businesswoman. I want to be an architect. I want to be all these things that sounded right. But then I genuinely didn't know um, until I found the love for art. You know, and I think a lot of artists have uh, a journey where there's something that happens in their lives for them to turn to art and then they realize that they have to do it. So, yeah, I didn't always know I was supposed to study medicine. I even did the those um, community service hours. And that's when I was like, nope, uh, too much scary stuff. I'm going to do art. <laughs> Too much responsibility with Yo. like saving people's lives. We could do it in another way, but Yo. being a doctor is like huge. Yes. Like that's that's a very specific type yeah. of person um, that's going to be a doctor. Yeah. yeah, like I vote no. Can I just rather go to the doctors? I, I don't want to be the one in charge <laughs> no. of saving. Like you're, you're fine. Just no. sleep it off. There we go. That's the advice. <laughs> Honestly, like I respect I respect that profession. I think it takes a very specific kind of person. Um, no, no, no. This, is, this is better, <laughs> this is much better. But yeah, um, if I knew an illustrator existed, I would have probably wanted to become one a lot earlier on. I just didn't know, you know? It's so interesting because whenever, because you go through that, you're like, okay, so I'm in matric now. Mm. What do I do with my life? Exactly. It's, but you always think creative fields, you always have like, okay, there's artist there's you have these very solid names for things mm. but you don't get illustrator you don't get graphic designer you don't get typeface designer yep there's so many nuanced areas to being a creative mm. and i don't think we're ever exposed to that exactly. 100%. high school yeah 100 percent. i've got this thing about high schools that if they had told me in high school that mm. if you take chemistry you could be like a kick-ass printmaker 
hmm. understanding how things react to one another and you can be these different things you don't have to be an astronaut or a scientist mm. or whatever you can actually just be a primac and have an understanding of how these things come together i mean surely they think okay you need to be able to work this out for yourself but they don't mm. promote the arts in schools in different things and then we'll get to it later but like being an illustrator what does that actually mean it's so abstract it is um, the fact that these these different paths exist and also being an artist is like very challenging and very scary and not all of us want to be an artist but you are creative and you want to work in that arena but it's so abstract and it's not really communicated in the correct way to people who wanting who are wanting to pursue these talents or, or passions I guess that they have so yeah. you're always just thrown into the deep and it's like yeah. oh you know how to draw okay let's throw you into the pool and figure it out yeah. like doesn't matter what direction you go in, mm. just fend for yourself. This is true. You're actually right. Yeah, it's, it's the joys of choosing this career path. I know, right? <laughs> if you would like to touch on the history of drawing or visual literacy in Zulu culture mm. um, and how it fits into your practice and you know how your work really contributes to developing a kind of visual language in that culture, because that's something that's not like known to us and I was so curious about that Mm. and in your culture in your community and even in your family the expectation to maybe do something a bit more mainstream like what is the history and the background of that and why is that not considered something to pursue yo I think yeah that's that's a multi-layered question um no because okay I think it starts from when I was a kid and we had these children's books, that was like the avenue to learning how to read and write and, you know, understand literacy from any, you know, point. And everything that was given to us in my school was predominantly Western. And we didn't see a problem with it. It was like, oh, well, yeah, Dr. Seuss. I mean, that's I guess. just the norm. That's yeah. all you're exposed to. So, yeah, that's all you're exposed to. So for me, I had to try and identify with the Western part of myself and grow up in that environment. And I knew that I have family that still lives in like the rural areas or in in the Kasi and like they don't actually have these Model C books that I have and for them to access reading was going to be another obstacle whereas it's like I have access to these things but even still it's a smaller obstacle for me but what I wanted to do was figure out when I was a kid I wanted to figure out like, how did they draw this? Like, how did this come about? I was so curious as to, like, how did these pictures get into this book? And that's what my first, um, I don't know, curiosity for art started as. And then when I grew grew up in, um, in the suburbs and, and, like, Zulu culture wasn't necessarily infused with my everyday life. It was something that it was like, you're, we have a funeral or we have a wedding, that's when you see your culture. And then when you go back to <laughs> real life, then it's like, we have to live in you know this kind of world. So um, as, as I grew up and I started illustrating, I started to want to create illustrations of you know people who look like me, people who can identify with more diverse characters in children's books. And I also wanted to, in turn, discover my culture, all the stuff that I missed out on growing up. And, you know, I wanted to evade kind of 
the way that people would tease me from my own family when they said I didn't know my culture, I'm a coconut, all of that stuff. Good stuff. Um, character building. Anyway, so <laughs> um, so when I took art, I was like, okay, I have this mission, you know, I want to sh- showcase stories from Zulu culture that I kind of grew up with, but it's nice to have like kind of fresh eyes so that I can discover them visually. And I studied my honors and my whole study was based off of okay, how can we um, tell Zulu stories in, in Zulu culture in a way that's contemporary and interesting and, you know, visually exciting so that people could access their culture, learn how to read, and find it interesting, I guess. And obviously, as an idealist, I walked into the study thinking, yeah, man, I'm going to figure this out. It's going to take one year and it's going to be done. And then I figured out that it's it's it's... It's a much bigger issue, um, and I think the biggest part of why my whole narrative is like, I want to discover my culture, Zulu culture, all that, is because of how much it hadn't been recorded in the past, and how the stories of our culture were just in this oral tradition of telling the story to the kids, this is what happened in this story, this is the moral of the story, it used to just be spoken word, and I wanted to see how I could um, capture that in, you know, a recorded written form, and make it visually interesting, just so that literacy could be a thing for people who don't have that connect to the books, and the textbooks, and the children's books that they get. So, yeah, that's how it kind of started, and then while I was doing that research, I figured there were so many issues with literacy in the country with every kid. Like, I think the it's still a statistic that stays in my mind. I don't know how much it's changed, but um, apparently only, what, 80% of children in grade four um, can't read for comprehension in grade four. And I'm like, yo... That's grade four. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That's mad. And if that statistic can change, I mean, a, an idealist would believe that education is the key to, you know, all all things that are possible. So, yeah, I think it, it just stuck with me, and I'm like, okay, unless this kind of changes or I do something, just a little thing to make that change, um, then I won't rest. <laughs> but yeah, that's how it kind of came about then grew from there it that statistic baffles me so much it's because it just the simple act of reading something can Mm. open so many doors and like you're saying it's especially now when you're trying to change that um almost that method of telling uh, your cultural stories instead of being oral and now into a more written form and i think so many things belong in a written form these days where that oral culture really slowly starts to fall away mm-hmm. and to then start telling these stories and learning mostly just happens in reading yeah. i mean you sit in a classroom and it's like okay here turn to this page mm-hmm. and you're expected to just know yeah and it's you never and i think often so happens is that you're just expected yeah. to know and you're expected to have this literacy but the education isn't there the support structure isn't there for mm-hmm. a lot of the teachers for a lot of the schools and it, it starts with doing small interventions to change that. And it's exactly what you're doing, those small interventions. But those are the things that... The smallest like, thing can start an avalanche, yes. you know? And even if it just 
helps like a few amount of people it's still those people that it changes mm. how they see the world mm. which is quite amazing also i think what's great about um visual imagery um over a period of time it's so time specific so if you look back at the things that you've created um your comic books and your things in like 20 years time like how different would that look i love that yeah. about um drawings and artworks and things because it's so time specific and it says so much about times that we are living in and it's horrible not to have a reference of maybe what certain drawings would have looked like um 40 years ago mm. you know and how perceptions change and how what we're exposed to so that's that's going to be really fascinating to behold is how the the visual language develops over a period of time yeah true true and like um i know it's it, it's like the world that we're living in now the way that technology is growing and taking over and um how whatever material that we produce especially educational material has to compete with um all this access to entertainment that these kids have so it has to stay on par with that or beat it so that kids can hold interest in the idea of learning and all that and what i found interesting in my childhood was that the only time i would learn about stories about my culture is when there was no electricity <laughs> like we'd just be chilling and then my dad would be like yeah you don't know the story let me tell you the story and then um that's how i'd be like yo why didn't you tell me this like when i was younger or stuff and he's like no you guys don't know your culture what 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 and that's how we would learn it it was when we didn't have the distraction that technology offers so anyway yeah that's just an interesting thing but that's wonderful i mean storytelling is so important and i actually even want that's so like we i sometimes i feel like i don't even know where i come from there's no i haven't heard about stories about my ancestors or about my great great grandparents no one knows no one cares type of thing and mm. it's actually quite horrible so that's quite a special thing that you have your dad even criticizing you for not knowing your culture <laughs> but so special because i think like you know definitely for me i don't know how you um perceive it it is but i don't know anything about my great grandparents nothing 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 maybe i should ask but do you know what i mean yeah. but it's like it's not a thing that we talk about at yeah. all i know my mother's parents and my father's parents and a little bit about their background but beyond that i know nothing mm. absolutely nothing so that's really that's really um special that you have that Some, sometimes yeah Sometimes it's like it's it's painful for them to talk about like I'll try and dig out their history from them like hey you should write a book what was your life like when you were my age what happened you know and I, I want to discover like what their lives were and at least have record of that and hopefully my grandchildren can have a story to tell about their great grand parents mm. stuff and stuff <laughs> Yeah. And you you were mentioning about keeping people like engaged mm. with it and I think what you're doing is kind of achieving that because you so often I don't know when I hear it's like oh well that's long time ago I don't really relate to it it makes no sense to me so I'm hearing about my culture from a very different perspective and not uh, not something that relates to my generation mm. and I think through your literacy kind of efforts you the way that you're telling these visual stories in a in a very contemporary way and i think that is something that younger generations will be able to relate to well because we're in such a visually stimulated world mm. audio is coming back cuz listen to podcasts they're yes. fantastic mm. and but it's through visual imagery that we're learning and we're absorbing and i think when you're producing something that's contemporary that 
younger generations can relate to, that excites them. It's not just, oh, I'm looking at the same textbook that was made 40 years ago. These illustrations make no sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, and those older illustrations also convey a very certain ideal. So I think changing those illustrations into something that's more relatable, I think is fantastic. Jeez, well, thanks. My gosh. Oh, thank you. Stroking the ego. I don't know what to do now. We'll ask another question. We'll, we'll move on from there. So I think there is change happening. And I think you're recognizing these issues from like all these different projects you're doing. But you work on such a range of projects. I mean, it's from working on the, um, and we'll go into the other stuff, like the education and um, your artistic practice and commercial. And when you're working on a project, so you're sitting down at the studio, you've got this stuff there, do you approach commercial work and your kind of artistic work in a very different way? Is there a different process involved in that? Um, there actually is. Uh, I noticed the difference when, I, like, I think when I was in the hub of the school environment, like, you didn't have any pressure except to pass. Like, that was it. Like, you just have to pass, but you can explore and express yourself however, however you want. You don't have to please a client. You don't have to get paid. It's just you. And then um, when I got into the rhythm of creating work for money like this is how I survive like I, this is all I do I just illustrate then it became um you know more of a service than something that was like you know therapying me a creatively <laughs> driven in a in a way yeah you have to be creative but there's a different drive behind exactly. what you do for yourself and what you're doing for a client exactly it's a different drive and I was unfamiliar with it um and like a lot of clients would be like, yeah, we, we like this work of yours, recreate this. And then I try and make it different. They'd be like, no, we want exactly that. And it's like, yo, okay. So basically I have to kind of be robotic in a sense um, and then just keep it moving and get the money, you know? So it became like just this ambitious drive to just keep making money. And at a point I kind of got lost in the idea of, what it is that forms my creative process. And I would, yeah, I would, like, draw on the side just to be like, oh, I'm still an artist, but I have to, like, make money. And, yeah, that that was an interesting journey, and I think it takes a couple of years to kind of get into the rhythm of how to serve your client and also serve yourself as a creative, how to serve your growth as a creative while taking the right client and, like, you know, being specific about what kind of jobs that you do. So even though the lines can blur between how I create for myself versus um, for commercial work, um, it's just a different creative process for each. And I've now housed commercial illustration as a service and then um, my own illustration as uh, self-care, in a sense. Yeah. For the soul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fully. No, that's great. Um, and then, I mean, there's something that you're working on. I don't know if you're still working on it or if it's done, but the, your master's project is um, just so wonderful from what I've heard. Um, and it kind of gets to commercial assistance. Mm. It's gonna get. It's between that and also education and visual literacy. And do you want to tell us a bit more about that? It, well, yes, I'm in the process. Can you even? Are you allowed to? I mean, I can I can tell you vaguely about it. <laughs> um, it's basically a, a project that um, 
it's a long story, right? But it started out from um, who became now my supervisor. My supervisor, she's awesome, Dr. Audrey Hesse. She started this thing called uh, Collaborate Community. So it's basically a space that um, gets, you know, children from the township and from areas that are struggling to write stories and then illustrators illustrate picture books for those stories. And um, the children become now authors. So she came up with this project where um, we would now make community members in a specific community authors of a book that communicates business processes and makes it easier for you know, people who struggle with literacy to access that information. So I would just basically have to visually portray this business information in the form of a narrative and an interesting story that kind of captures the experiences of these community members. So in a sense, yes, it was like, okay, this is this is the job, this is the client type of thing. But when I think the biggest difference was my creative process changed when I went into the community. I sat with the people. They were very nice to me, and they told me all their stories. So I recorded their stories, and I was like, okay, let's try and make a story out of your stories. And each of the characters are literally people that I've met, which is nice, and also a lot of pressure, because <laughs> you have to do them justice, you know? Um, and yeah, it became like a comic book about their stories, their experiences, um, about business education to some extent, and just also capturing their struggles and how they could overcome it. So. Yeah, that's that's a practical component of the study, but it's basically to investigate how um, visuals can capture that kind of information. So I'm basically dissecting all the modes of communication that house elements like personal experiences, you know, working together with the community, uh, capturing stories and educating in a sense. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's what it is. That that's sounds so exciting. It's <laughs> it sounds so it's cool. The thing is what um, is so fascinating about what you're saying is that even in institutions, I know studying art or studying whatever, we've spoken about this before, is there's no business training. There's mm. no how do you do accounting or how you should treat with, how you should work with people, how you should work with uh, staff or just colleagues or whatever. There's absolutely no indication, even in like a formal education environments and i can only imagine in in um, smaller communities where there's actually no like proper structure for education they don't have the resources available that you know, like a fancy university will have and there's such a lack in that kind of business development language that um is so prominent in the arts but obviously elsewhere even more so mm -hmm. um and that's quite a important thing that i think that dr audrey and you and the other other people working on this project are doing because I think you know business language is so important mm. in in whatever it is that you do even if you're in a creative field or you a street merchant or you make shoes or whatever it is that you do you have to understand how these things work in order mm. to make a way for yourself in the world and and that's really that's really amazing so nice that you can kind of vaguely tell us about, about the project. We're excited for the Thank final you. project. Thank you. No, yeah. We're watching eagerly. <laughs> yeah, no, hey, hey. no, because, yeah, it's... Has it been a difficult process oh. during your master's? My God. Because I've got that plan for the future. I have no time for it right now. Hey, man. How's it going? Are you okay? Hey. Do you need I'm, a nap? I need, I need a nap. <laughs> no, I, I mean, yo, I never thought... After I did honors, I straight up told my, my supervisor, I'm never doing this thing again. This was painful. 
this was hard i don't want it she's like you know you're gonna have the research bug scratching at you again and all that and i was like nah it's not gonna happen and then i worked in industry and it happened and i was like yo i have to i have to do something and i found like sometimes academic institutions give you the house to be an idealist and you know follow through with the project that you believe in and at the same time you know kind of get skills and research and you know just get better at organizing stuff um but yeah it's 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 still like an academic institution it's still a measure of obedience you know being at school and um yeah i'm still doing the harder part the easy part was making well the the less hard part was making the comic the hard part is writing about it mm-hmm. and i don't believe in myself that much as a writer but i'm trying so yes <laughs> i agree it's it's such a weird thing about then cool I, i fully believe in like my ability to draw this and to physically produce what i'm doing it's yeah. like now i have to substantiate <laughs> everything i've done the color choice Dude. the why this line is that thick mm. i don't know that was my experience of like you need to then substantiate everything yeah. you've done it's like can't you just look at what i made yeah. isn't that enough isn't it enough <laughs> why is my practical component not enough yeah uh, but it's fine i think it's just um, part of academia yeah. they, they need that paper to sit in the library for like a decade and yeah then, and you're, then you've made it then you've made it <laughs> but it's not just that i mean i think that your um your coming into these communities and talking and actually talking about context and experience which is not something that's going to be necessary necessarily understood in only visuals that's the reason why there's papers guys and why you have to produce it or reduce it to writing is because that history needs to exist not everyone's going to illustrate and even from your illustrations that history and that context in this situation in this community these communities or you know why there's a lack is not fully understood in in imagery so it is and and it's not that hard because you actually it's basically using your words and i think in writing you train yourself to write you struggle 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 at the beginning but by the end of it you're like oh getting pretty good at this and it's basically basically just recording your experiences um and just find a good editor if you're not such a great writer you just find someone who understands what it is that you're doing mm-hmm. and that can fix the language for you because the the writing part of it is is, is extremely important um so i'm not going to let you guys just the writing Fine. part of it okay i'm a historian and i just like this is enough enough is enough it's but, necessary but i agree with you because then it exists in so many levels true you know it's you it's it satisfies all the realms of absorbing information yeah and that's what we want we just want information everywhere for everyone to absorb it mm. and from there and i think that's why i'm so drawn to masters and people who do their masters mm. and even onward is you focus so much energy on a specific nuanced idea yeah and once you get to the point of actually doing it there's importance in that this is true and i think along the line it's just reminding oneself about that importance of the project and it doesn't matter how many sleepless nights or the energy or the writing and the making mm-hmm. there it's going to play such an important role in like Mace says in that kind of that history and that art history yeah. and that design history and just people's histories in general so yep. we look forward to reading your paper you, you artists and your freaking writing phobias sorry yeah it's it's, it's because it's against one but i can i can be two if i need to <laughs> um but yeah don't diss on art history guys no it's honestly when when we get good at it then we'll speak like you I promise 
We'll, we'll get there one day. I'm not good at it. I'm just yeah. saying. What she's also saying is she'll edit your things oh, for you. That's what, that's what she's okay, saying. I'll, I'll send okay. you. Th- she, no, I'll she's going to read it. She's going to read it. She's going to edit it. It's going to be great. She's, Thank you That's so what much. actually what she said. No, Jacqueline Flint, who is another chop liver associate, will is a great editor. She edits my writing as well. She'll do it. I'm not going to. Yeah, you guys are going to co-edit. I'm that's not going to expose you, you to my editing skills. <laughs> When I see your work, I recognize it immediately because I know that is that's Z mm. and that style that you've made. I mean, you've got the the colors that you're working with, the type of line work. Has that a style that you've developed, or is that just instinctually how you've always drawn? No, no. I yo like I was. Thank you. Firstly, I didn't know because every time people are like yeah, I recognized your work. I didn't know I got there, but like. Um, I still feel like there's some work that's sort of different, but yeah, it's it's nice to, you know? Um, but yeah, when I started drawing, um, I was, you know, it, it was like, what's the first thing that people will be impressed with? Realism, right? Or, um, you know, creating things as they are, like, oh, people can see the measure of your skill in that sense. And they're not necessarily looking beyond that and trying to understand the art of it. And for a long time, I closed myself off from understanding different types of art because I was so concerned with being good at it, you know, or good at one thing. And um, with art school, art school breaks you down. Like, that's what it's designed to do. And the only way that you you grow as a creative is if you break down and understand every part of what it is that you're doing and then build it up again. So, yeah, my style has changed. Because of that, I had to break it down. I had to reduce it. I had to face the very daunting thing called color. I still find it daunting and scary and um, try to understand it and, you know, kind of be bold enough to say that I'm done with this artwork. It can be shown to the world and all of that. So, yeah, it's it's changed. But, I mean, since, since university days or um, at least when I started with landing on this style, like I think my line work is a lot more confident. Back then it was shaky, yo, and it was it was dark times. But you know it's grown, <laughs> it's grown, and um, I think every creative uh, is their own worst critic, as we all know. Um, it ha- it has a lot of work um, that needs it, n- it needs a lot of work still. I still look at my style and be like, yo, I need to beat the last beat the last illustration and grow a little bit. But yeah, that's. Yeah, I'm I'm one of those committed artists. I commit to one style, you know. I, I get jealous of artists who can adapt and create all these different styles. Um, I admire those. But yeah, that's, that's what it is. What you just said there is, I think, maybe a plague of most artists. Like, you say that you're jealous of how other people draw. Mm. I'm so jealous about how you draw. <laughs> I cannot, like, I do a lot of abstract, and mm. but then I see how illustrators draw like you, and I'm like, I wish I could draw that way. I just, my hand and my brain will not communicate that line at all. And I just think it's incredible, that kind of skill that you have. And, and it's just like what you were saying about you've become confident in that line mm. that you're drawing that is such a poignant thing that a lot of artists are learning to do is to be confident in that line that you're drawing that mark that you're making and when that starts to happen that authenticity and where that style and that recognizability of one's work starts to happen this is true Mm. yeah look i mean i 
I draw. I don't draw as well as you. I don't draw. I want to draw like Michael Taylor or whoever, all those people. But the point is that we have as artists or creatives, I don't classify myself as an artist, but we focus on different things. Mm. You draw every day, I presume. Every, or it's like it's your... It's a, it's a lifestyle thing for you. It's not like you're not going to try and develop your abstract visual language. You have a goal and you're focusing on that goal and you're learning how to develop develop that. Elise, if you had fo- if you focus your creative energy in doing what Z's doing, I promise you, or to draw in a certain way or to be a realist or to capture image as it is, like you will get there. And I think that that issue, not a, of jealousy is not... I mean, jealousy in the nice way is like it's healthy and it also drives you and it motivates you and it's it's really inspiring. I, I think that we we capture inspiration. It's not a jealousy issue. It's a, like you're inspired by how people can adapt and yeah. how can they can draw. But it's ultimately it comes back to our issue about I have a lot of people that say in the gallery, oh, I used to draw. I loved, you know, I just can't draw. And and it's the most basic visual language that we have as children. Naturally, people who've had no education in language or drawing or whatever, they all can make a circle, they all can make a square or line or a dotted line or a shade or whatever. And that's our basic language that everyone has, a child has it, no one has to teach you that. But what you learn in drawing is how to construct those shapes and those lines into something that makes sense. Mm. So if you can't draw like that, with respect, you haven't put in the time to... to um, develop that language and it's not your prerogative because you're focusing on book arts and you're focusing on other stuff but the the work has to be put in into drawing and we focus a lot on drawing in throughout because it's such an essential it's such an essential concept for us and it's such a difficult thing it's such a yeah for me is just such a process of like self-evaluation and perseverance and in another interview, you spoke also about the fact that you don't know that you can draw until you do it, and then boom, you've got it, and and all of that. So, and it's a really difficult process. You have to be comfortable with being crap at it. Yep. And um, keep going, keep going, and keep going until you feel like, oh God, I can live with this. I can live with this a little bit. Okay, mm. let's go further. Let's go further. And then if you take a break, let's say a couple of months or a couple of years, pick up a pencil or a crayon or brush again, and you're like, I suck again <laughs> at this. So it's for it's for me personally such a such a process of constant finding yourself and you have to like even if you don't go to art school what you were saying about art school is designed to break down break you down break down the way that you see things and and perceive them mm-hmm. um, if you're doing that on your own like I'm doing that on my own it's the same thing mm-hmm. but you you are your worst critic and it's actually you'll never you're never satisfied you never. Um, it's, it's it's not easy to accept and there are different things in drawing okay now I can capture this bird but there's no composition there's no background there's no narrative in terms of the story and I think that is that for me is like it's such and black drawing no I can't it's too much but um, yeah. to, to, to just say that like what in your mind would you say to encourage people like Elise mm. who want to get better at drawing um what what yeah what advice or encouragement will you give to people to keep going and developing their drawing skills and not be jealous just do it yeah yeah because i was about to say uh and i was trying to figure out whether it makes sense but after a certain point of practice diligence and all the characteristics that you need to become an expert at anything you end up drawing how you were meant to or you, you end up creating how you were meant to so that's kind of what makes us different like 
we are supposed to kind of be inspired and jealous about each other at the same time because that's what makes us so different and like I can name a bunch of people that I'm still like yo I wish I could get to that level and um, I just think you end up drawing how you were meant to and you can't progress if you're looking around at what other people are doing um, so you just have to focus on your path uh, compete with yourself and grow from there and then you'll get further and I think um, the skill of drawing uh, is is just a matter of practice a matter of hours um, and then the the skill of creativity is a matter of you know self-investigation and understanding what parts of yourself do you do you want to develop and grow uh, what kind of person do you want to become how much do you want to um, showcase of your identity those kinds of things so a combination of those two things can make any person a brilliant artist i think so it's just a matter of you deciding and believing in you yourself self-belief <laughs> that is so powerful and i'm so glad that you said that because we believe that as well i mm. mean i believe that any everyone has creativity in them and they're gonna communicate it in whatever way it's like really grates me when someone's like i'm not creative and i'm like just please don't talk to me because <laughs> just listen to our podcast and you know get some thoughts there because it's not true it's yeah. not true mm. i know mm. everyone's flower and they create it <laughs> I've heard many criticisms where you're walking into a gallery space and there are illustrations hanging in. People say like, oh, that's not art, that's an illustration. And in your mind, do you think there is a distinction between the two where it's like, this is fine art and this is an illustration? Um, I think so. I mean, uh, I worked at a gallery for a couple of months and it was, um, what's it? Uh, contemporary art gallery and most of the time the artists that were showcased were a mixture of um, fine artists and illustrators and animators and all kinds of creatives and I thought that was cool and it was normal to me because I went to design school but before I even knew about that um, I wanted to become a fine artist and I chose design I went through with design and I always felt like fine artists just know a lot more about art <laughs> and we just know a lot more about commercial and design and you know those kinds of things so um how i've kind of distinct distinct hmm how do you say the word how how i've kind of differentiated the difference <laughs> between the two <laughs> is um like i always think that um the midpoint between a designer and uh artist is an illustrator and we have traits of both but the only distinct difference there we go is um the fact that our work um can be recreated and reproduced multiple times and you know the the whole authenticity or the ethics behind additioning is kind of different and um a lot of illustrators may not put 50% or 70% of their traditional skill into their work. So it's like, how much are you relying on technology to create your artwork? How recreatable is this? Can somebody else do what you're doing? That kind of thing comes into play. So yeah, they, they, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but I do think that there is a huge difference between the two, but at the same time, 
it just depends on how much you're putting in before getting into the digital space and relying on technology and all of that. But other than that, um, we're the same, man. Oh, the, the other difference, <laughs> the other difference is, and it's one thing that I, I admire about fine artists is that, you know, illustrators communicate a message, and I think fine artists take you on a journey in their minds. It's like, look at what's going on in my thought process. Let me take you on a journey on this kind of thinking. But with um, illustration, sometimes it comes across as superficial or at face value you can easily understand, and that's usually the the, the aim. So, yeah, there's quite a lot of differences, I think. Yeah. But Yeah, so, I I mean, my thing about it is you can have an illustrative style Mm. but create a fine artwork. And we've had, that's what we've had in the gallery. Let's say I'm showing something in an illustrative style and someone's coming in and saying, this is not art, this is illustration. But what is fine art? Okay, so it's maybe art for art's sake, but it's also world creation and communication of ideas. So if you say you're an illustrator, but you've created Nandipa, your famous comic book or whatever, and that is your old own world creation, that's not a brief, that's not a commercial thing. That mm. is something that you've fabricated from your imagination and a lot of what you do in your illustrative even digital work is you've said from your dreams or you know those are not briefs true but the style is maybe illustrative so this is where the question comes in because you know and and the reason why we wanted to talk about it elise has a lot of clients who um only buys illustrations they'll buy directly from the artists themselves and then we've we've got people who do are like actually more excited about illustrative work not illustrative work but i don't know something fresh something new that i maybe don't want to see all the abstract or the you know the, there's the different people but for example with your work in this week i've had people asking even for things that maybe didn't even exist as a print mm-hmm. before but they recognize your message they recognize your approach they recognize um, what it is that you're doing and let's say your pride print that you made for absolute that's is that a brief or is that a work that you submitted or is that what is what is the the concept behind behind that or is that would you say that's an illustration or that's a fine art piece world creation world creation piece well damn i think that that specific project because it was very open brief i would say that it was just an illustration of what i wanted to communicate at the time it was like, oh, this this chick is sitting in my head. She's chilling. Let her come out on paper. But it wasn't like, do this for, you know, these are the limitations. There weren't any of that. So know. it's a fine artwork. I would consider it to kind of be. In an illustrative style. In an illustrative style. But with, I think it also has to do with the intention. Mm-hmm. If your intention is to, I don't know, please an audience. Or um, if your intention is to, hmm to be aesthetically pleasing um, or um, communicate a message and just those two aspects alone. Yo, that's actually, you know what? Yeah, yeah. This Do you is... know what I'm saying? And also a lot of fine artists <laughs> make work to be commercially pleasing, but exactly. their art is still considered, even though it's maybe not so great, in my opinion, still fine art. I think... But they're working according to a formula to sell, to produce this commercially. Is... Maybe it's because... Um... I think it's the digital aspect that hasn't been fully um, consumed and accepted by the fine art world, maybe. I don't Thanks, know. Thanks, Corona. Maybe we might just get there. We might just get there now. 
<laughs> she was good for something. Yeah. <laughs> gave us progress. Um, but yeah, I think that's what it is. Because mm. I, I remember my dad... Sorry, I know I'm talking about my parents quite a lot. We love hearing about your parents. They, they're really nice people. Um, <laughs> in case they hear this. Um, no, yeah, he, he would always be... A, he gave me a nice glimpse into a world where this is a person who wasn't, experience, uh, who, who wasn't exposed to art, like fine art. And I was that person too, but then I got exposed. So now I'd be drawing like these blue people and why are people blue? And then um, why does this person, you, you can draw like this, but why are you drawing like this? And, and it, it was just confusing to him. And then I'd start printing multiple prints and then I, I'd be like, okay, I want to put something in the house. Maybe I can just edit the sky and then it can go with the color scheme. And he's like, but isn't that an additioned artwork? You know, you, you said that the, there were only 12 of these that exist, whatever. And I'm like, yeah, well, it's just for the house, you know. And those kinds of things are just like, well, what does it mean anymore that you can now reproduce all this um, this art that you said was a limited edition or, you know, the things that made it special and unique, you're just stripping them away and you have, you know, ways to change that. Or, I don't know, like, just the digital aspect, the part where you print it and... I don't know. I think Man. people are so used to walking into a gallery space, just traditionally. You're seeing paintings, you're seeing drawings, you're seeing very tactile mediums on the wall. Mm. And I think when we're introduced to digital, we're thinking video, those types of performance-based digital. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's sound or it's installation-based. So their idea of what a contemporary digital artwork is can be very conceptually based. Yeah. And I think when you're thinking digital painting, digital drawing, I think that starts to kind of maybe confuse um, people in the traditional gallery realm a little bit more. Because like, oh, but it just gets printed out. Yeah. It's like, but so does a photo. Exactly. So you're starting to break down people's idea of what a medium is and what a medium is possible of i was starting to i kind of fell into that trap a little bit it's like mm. oh but like it's a, just a digital thing like and you just print it out but then i've seen what people can do with these programs and mm. it blows my mind where you can just on your ipad or computer or whatever you're working on you're still drawing yeah you're just making use of programs that have so many more features you can still choose the brush that looks like an ink brush you can still choose something that looks like a spray can you're developing and you're using a medium that's very versatile and it's still drawing you're still using your hand to draw a line but it's a very different medium mm. and i think to get people to start to understand that it's still an artist drawing a line and i think that's going to start breaking it down because like i may said i have a lot of clients um that bring in for framing and they're like their entire collection is digital drawing yeah and i think people are starting to understand that it's something that's like oh i don't really necessarily want this high art thing mm. um because that's what their perception of it is this giant painting hanging in my living but i want something that has a lot of character to it yeah and i think it's something that people can relate to a lot more and it's something that's visually they can understand as well yeah. that i think that's a strong thing about illustration and illustration style is that this makes sense to me i can absorb this and i can read into it and i there's a story behind it that i can value mm. that starts to kind of grow i think that yeah that's beautifully explained because you brought about a very good point it's people can only 
understand what they've kind of experienced. So yeah, what you're saying with um, like it's, if it's a painting and someone has held a paintbrush and experienced paint, then they can understand the marvel of a traditional painting being done really well. But then when nobody's been on Photoshop or Illustrator and tried, then they won't understand the end product that well. Makes sense. And it's really hard. Hey? It's like, what does this tool do? If you're an illustrator, the, the pen tool or the pencil tool doesn't do what it's supposed to do. There's like, you know, it's it's actually really difficult. And it's the same with printmaking. You know, people frown upon um, printmaking works on paper or copper plates. Mm. But to make a circle, I try and explain this to people, to make just a basic thing on a copper plate, there's so much resistance. And it's actually so much harder to draw on a copper plate mm. than it is to draw on a piece of paper. And with a digital format as well um i've never done it but it's because i always will draw it and then i'll convert it to like vectorize it into in the program but i've never used like a wacom or whatever to draw physically onto and into the digital platform um but it's not there's something a connect there that actually makes it a bit harder doesn't it do you think or do you think that it's they're different qualities but it's just not how we taught you know you have to learn how to use these things and the different tools and the and i hate it when that some grid line thing comes up because how does it get away like if you put up your perspective box i don't need to close the program open it again and start again but it's yeah no there's some aspects of all the software that i use that i still don't understand like Mm -hmm. even with people who who are digital artists and they create things where it's like I know it's possible, but how though? Like, how did you get there? Like, so yeah, I think it's, it's with all these things, man. There's, there's just a lot that we have access to as creatives now, especially on, on, on the digital plane. It's just a matter of how we use it, how creative we can be with it. And I think that's the measure, but um, we, we kind of live in a world where everybody is more than one label. So I guess, um artists should also embrace that there's this interesting project um alan lang and other students did a story instagram story gallery during the lockdown Mm. and they were actually getting people to buy into digital drawings and if you purchase the digital drawing it's never going to be printed out or anything you purchase it and what happens the artist includes your name on the digital and only exists in a digital world yeah. like you know, can't print it out like how fascinating That's is that because they were trying to see if people would purchase hmm. something that doesn't exist that's where we're going with this this whole thing and people loved it and it's a drawing that someone made but it's so fascinating but it, it, it kind of um showcases how much of our lives are digital like a lot of the things that make up for instance our instagram pages stayed online like some of the stuff didn't even ever exist outside of being online and that kind of speaks to how how important our virtual consciousness is becoming now and also now with this catalyst of corona uh, bringing us to this stage where we understand now we can actually make a living just purely online remotely and all of that so yeah it's that is that is a topic for 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 yep yep we could have like a whole series that, podcast just yeah, that, on that. That's a podcast. <laughs> that's a full one. Mm. A chop liver subject, which where illustration and street art are both perceived as kind of not belonging in the gallery. Um, but 
you know, from my experience, the illustrative and the street art aspect often go hand in hand. I know a lot of um, illustrators that end up doing murals and, mm. and all that. And both of those are kind of in a gallery context, not perceived as kind of belonging. Mm. Um, you breaking those, those boundaries as being a gallery artist and an illustrator and recently a street artist. Um, could you tell us a bit more about the mural that you did in, at Jewel City? Um, and if, if being a street artist is a thing for you as an illustrator? Um, uh, okay, well, <laughs> I, think, I think everything is kind of worth exploring in, in, in a world that you're kind of discovering. Um, uh, I think it sometimes is too soon for me to put a label on what specifically it is that I do. I can only put labels on the things that I'd love to do more. And street art was never a thing that I've truly done. And I wanted to discover, is this something that I want to do more of? Should I get the opportunity? And luckily, I was blessed with the opportunity of um, designing for a, a, a mural. Initially, the um, the lady who came to me, uh, Liesl, she owns a company called Plinth, which specializes in um, designing murals to make spaces look pretty and beautiful. Um, she came to me a year ago talking about, yo, we want to design for this uh, building. It needs to wrap around the building. And are you interested? It's going to be a difficult surface, so you're going to have to change a part of the way that you design. And I was uncomfortable at first because I'm like, I rely on these little details. It makes my work feel complete. And I had to change my style a bit. So I was like, okay, I'm up for the challenge. I've never done this. Let's try it. And initially, I was not ever meant to paint it. It was supposed to be given, the design given to an installation team, and then they would, you know, to complete it. And then um, it came to a point where I was resistant on reducing one part of my design, which was the line work. Like, I rely on line work. So eventually we agreed, I'm going to just do the line work, and the installation team would come and install and then um, about like three months ago, we started with the process. We had to uh, climb up scaffolding to start, um, you know, scaling up a design on a brick surface, which was very porous, which we found out as we were doing it. And we were like, whoa, how is this going to happen? And what was supposed to be like a month long project turned into a three month long project. And that was because construction was happening at the same time. A bunch of artists were also working on their murals because there's about six murals there. Anyway, long story short, um, yeah, it was a it was an interesting process. It, I, I definitely chose a very difficult first mural, uh, but I think by the end of the project, it was more fun because I had learned how to do this a bit better. So, yeah. Um, in terms of that, I think any creative should, shouldn't limit themselves to specific types of creative experiences unless they've tried it and they were like, no, I'm never doing this again. Or they, they could try it and discover, hey, I'll actually do this again. So yeah, that's one of the things that I learned. I mean, I had to tell a story on a wall, which was cool. It was a different medium. It gave me perspective on how you can shrink things with your mind, how you can tackle obstacles, and you know how you can create something new, get a new skill. And yeah, so I don't know if I position myself as a street artist, but 
uh, I tried. And yeah, street the, artwork. Artwork, or yeah. Whatever you the, call it. The, the one, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think with those kinds of um, realms of art, we should just be open to them and... And yeah, it's interesting. It would just be fascinating to to see how that affects your process and maybe how you would do the next one if it comes up. Yeah, because it, it it changed a lot um, uh, about the process. I've never let so many people into my process, and I realized a lot of things about myself that I didn't know. Like I had an excellent team of people, of creatives, of my friends, of um, the team that came from site, like. Those are the people that made that thing possible. I could have never done it alone, never. Well, it would have taken maybe a year or, or longer. But yeah, they helped a lot, and they had to get. I had to explain what happens in my mind with the process because I could. I couldn't do it alone. They had to take over a part of what I do, and they had to learn the way I do line work and all of that. So yeah, I'm very stubborn and I'm very precise and um, and very difficult to work with sometimes and I learned that Ooh, so. <laughs> that sounds intriguing and were there I mean were there different elements like in terms of um, weather things that were a problem from working outside you Your, know sun hot it was in winter wind. but still the sun can be hot in winter in Joburg no like it was cold like Joburg oh. is cold but like uh, it got hot towards the end but there were times where like our hands were swelling because it was cold <laughs> and we had to like get brushes from the water and like couldn't have our lines straight because our hands were shaking like we went through the pits but we learned a lot about life and we I have so much respect for the guys who just have to paint um, on a regular basis you know the guys who do construction through all that weather and and um, my feminist approach is has also shifted a bit <laughs> because um, yeah um, I just can't lift heavy things. I can't. So, yeah, I mean, I just have a newfound respect for, you know, everyone who works on a construction site and has to paint and all that. Mm. Um, I think it's uh, just on a note of feminism and accepting what, you know, we so, like, as feminists, you want to be like, I can do everything. But there's a reason why we build differently. And there shouldn't be a problem with that, you know. And it's so, I, I think it's so, so lovely that you just said, I can't lift heavy things. Yeah. We shouldn't want to in any event. And we haven't, we're not built that way. So actually, we should appreciate what men are able to do in those contexts yeah. and that they're so rough. You know, we can be softer. And that's okay and also. That's okay. You it's know? okay to it's okay. It's okay to do that. So mm. I like that you said that. Yeah, no. Every, every guy on site was a gent. Like I expected, you know. I expected like rough construction work. Yeah, you know? I expected the worst. And the then stereotype they were continues. just like, no, you can't carry that. I was like, yes, I cannot. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely right. I can't. Yeah. That's, That's wonderful. Nice. That's wonderful. One of the last questions is just how to make it happen kind of thing. And I know it's something that none of us really know how to do, but it's how as an illustrator and how have you built up your career what have you done to kind of promote yourself and just put it out there in the world? What have you found works? What have you learned in that whole process? And when have you made it? Like as an illustrator, is it commercial? Is it, you know, what is it? It's so, we want to know, tell us. In terms of how do you know when you've made it? I, I don't know. I think that keeps, it's like the, the carrot keeps, you know, 
comfortable distance from your mouth. <laughs> so it keeps shifting. And even when you get to where you thought, yo, no, this, when I get here, it's going to be lit. Um, you realize, oh, actually, I have, a, I have new dreams now. I have new goals. So there's that. I think it just depends on how, how relentless your belief is in that thing. How much you're willing to sacrifice in terms of time, in terms of investment, and, and all of that, and use everything that you have. I'm, I remember I was too cool for social media. <laughs> I thought I was cool, and then um, I saw that Instagram actually helps, um, you know, showcasing your work on Behance and all of that. Like using every single um, thing that you have access to to showcase your showcasing your work. Thinking that, like, if you win something, everyone's just going to know about it, and they should. And it's like, dude, nobody knows. Like, even after winning stuff and getting accolades and achievements, whatever, nobody knew what uh, who I was, what I was doing. And it's like, you have to kind of be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to put yourself out there and be like, yo, this is what I do. This is what I want to do. This is my plan. And, and then keep working at it. It's literally hard work equals pay off and... But I think that's a perfect place for us to end off. Um, okay. Just thank you so much. I've learned so much. Thank you. And just one of the great takeaways that we just mentioned is just it's, it's hard work mm. and consistency and just being passionate about what you do and love what you do. But that will lead us to the doodle challenge. <laughs> this episode's prompt will be what, Z? What would you like it to be? I think everybody should... This is going to be vague. Should draw on their strengths. Mm, I like that's, it. That's vague. I mean, like, draw, draw on the way that you find yourself um, to be different, I think. Your uniqueness and strength. That stuff. It's hard. That's hard. I can't even think of something. Or flowers, because that's all I can see is flowers. But, yeah, I think... Draw on your strengths. I think, draw on your strengths. I think there it's a good one. Let's it's, see. It's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. <laughs> Let's see what, what we get. And the prize, Elise? So uh, this episode's prize will be one of our amazing chopped liver pins. Mm -hmm. So guys, doodle. We want to see all your doodles. And remember, everyone can draw. It can be on your phone. It can be in any format you want. We just want your doodles. Yes. And you can send them to us on Instagram or our email, which is info at chopliversociety.com. Yeah, and tag us. Tag us on in Instagram. Tag us on all the things and follow Z on Instagram. If you aren't already, you oh should. Gosh. It's mandatory. You What's have your to do Instagram it? handle? Oh, it's it's Z Zulu, like Z H I underscore Zulu. But yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you, May. Thank you, Elise. You guys are awesome. It was honestly a nice chat, you know, to have, and and I grew from it. I learned from it. So thank you for the challenge. Very, very, very nice. That's very cute to see Elise or Gashi about you. Me too, but I'm, I'm going to be strong in this round and maybe in the next round I'll be the Gashi one. But Z, thanks so much. We love you. We love your work. And too, that's man. it. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. For more information on the platform, visit our website choppedliversociety.com and like us on Facebook and Instagram and bring your friends. And this podcast was produced by Jonathan Bell at Bell Studios in Johannesburg.